Dong Earthlets, Conrad here. I hope you enjoy our coverage of the 1988 specials. Sadly, we've had a few difficulties with scheduling, so instead of having these episodes cover one week, we'll instead be putting them out this Monday and the next, but to make up for it, I'll be posting collected episodes on Friday for the rest of our 1988 coverage. We'll be collecting some of the best 2080s stories ever with some entry points for top characters. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you for your patience and enjoy the show. Splendig Verthrig! Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 182nd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from our weekly progs, and once again, venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1988 Judge Dredd Mega Special. This is the first Dread special, uh, presumably part of new owner Fleetway's attempt to capitalize on their new acquisition. The special starts out pretty strong with a mix of new stories, both original and repurposed, and the premiere of the actually daily, daily star dread strips. The price is a lean, mean 75p, uh, but more important than that is my guest for this episode, John Burtis, one of the hosts of Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD and Keeper of the Cellar of Dread. Welcome to the show, Mr. Burtis. Hello to all you druckers out there, and it's very exciting to be on here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really honored by by your presence. Absolutely, um, something I've been thinking about for a long time. I was really I was really grateful when you accepted the opportunity to come on here and talk about this special for sure. I, I um, before we get started, I was wondering if if you could tell everybody about your history with uh, 2000 AD and and Judge Dredd in particular. Uh, oh, I've got lots of things. I'll, I'll do it uh, as quickly as I can. Uh, when I was a, a paper boy, uh, a young 10-year-old paper boy, 1977, uh, I went on the paper shop, normal thing, get me mm-hmm. papers, go and deliver them, and I noticed a new comic on the shelf. So I asked Mr. Bennett, I said, Mr. Bennett, what's that new comic? And he said, oh, it's some Star Wars science fiction thing or whatever he said. And I said, can I have a look? I had a quick look, and I said, can you keep that, sort of put it to one side for me and I'll start buying that out by my payment. <laughs> and uh, that's how I started reading it and uh, enjoyed it. Dan Day was my favourite until he disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was straight under dread. And then I joined the, the military and I travelled around. And what I was doing was I was I could get the, the prog and get the um, sort of the annuals and stuff when I was back mm-hmm. or would get them sort of, if I was out of country, I would get them all saved up at the local paper shop. Oh, wow. And then I would get them all when I come back. Because the problem is if you t- if you go out to a country uh, and then you're, you're trying to get the comics out there, who knows if they'll turn up or not. So it's better right. off just to get them all kept, come back and read. Oh, wow. Uh, so just ha- have a big binge read when you got back. Oh, that's right. And the funniest thing about that sort of system was um, when I was out in the Gulf in 91, uh, I was going out with a, a girl who became my wife, and I joked that this is the reason she became my wife, because she was collecting the progs for me, <laughs> and then the magazine started. So in her letters to me, she had said, oh, this new Judge Dredd comic started. I've, and there was a comic shop in the town by then. So she said, I've seen the people in the comic shop, so I'm getting that for you as well. And I'm like, brilliant. 
So when I got back home after like six months away, and there was a big pile of magazines and a big pile of progs, and I'm like, oh, I want to read them, but I better be nice to my girlfriend first. <laughs> uh, so that was all that sort of stuff. And then it was um, once I left the army and I was going to conventions and stuff like that, uh, I was meeting lots of uh, – Long-time friends who I've got now through the the world of dread in 2008, mm-hmm. and I met uh, Stephen Keeney and uh, Steve Green who were doing Judge Minty, and I got involved in that as like the the lunatic. I think my my thing was when I met one of them. When I met Steve, the director down in Bristol, he was showing me the lawgiver they had made, and he said, "Oh, we're doing it. We're going to think of doing a, a fan film." And I said, oh, I'm up for it no matter what. I said, I'll even do stunts, and I don't care if I injure myself <laughs> so long as I can be in it. And I got it, I got in it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was an experience. Uh, all the people who were involved have become really good friends. We come from all over the country to go to the, the shoots, wherever they were, the South Coast, there was in London, up in the Midlands area. It was brilliant, a really brilliant experience. Mm-hmm. And then when they came back and started doing Strontium Dog, a lot of the team who were on the judgment, he came back and said, yeah, we'll, we'll have a bit of fun with this as well. So through that, and Dan, who was the person who did all the uniforms and things, he then created Planet Replicas. Oh, wow, so yeah. I to get the first uh, judge suit. So that was like, because when we were at the judgment, <laughs> when we were at the judgment shoot, as soon as the main star, who was judgment, mm-hmm. uh, then had finished, and uh, and Greg was Judge Dredd. We were all putting the uniform on, going, "Take a picture, take a picture." <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it was like it was like this is this is like the greatest thing ever. We were finally wearing the the outfits that we loved. And then obviously, once we managed, to, we could buy them. It was even better. So we went to conventions, and nobody had seen this style before in in bulk because there was a, a lot of people started getting them. So it was about six or seven of us going to cons. And it was a brilliant laugh, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then we, then you've got uh, the the dread film was getting made, and I remember one of the funny things on that was because on the 2084 forum I was known as Commando Forces because when I was in the military, I, did, I was in I was in the engineers first, mm-hmm. then I went to bomb disposal, and in bomb disposal there was um, an airborne troop and a commando troop, and I went to the commando troop, so I went off and did my commando course, so then we could do sneaky beaky stuff of course uh, yeah and so that's what a name i put onto there just because everyone puts an alias sure and so we were watching all this information come up about the the making of the dread film and it was like brilliant so i was i did this big write-up because people were saying oh you can't wear this uniform because that this so i did a big write-up saying well you're wrong because this movie version works because of this that and the other I went, and then I, get, I kept getting this one person who was saying, well, you can't see out of the helmet. And, I would have, and I'd have to explain to them saying, well, you can see out the helmet. It's got better vision than if you're wearing a respirator. And if I can fast rope out of a helicopter onto a building or a ship with a respirator on with right. just two little circular viewing ports out the front and do all that and do my job, um, surely a judge who trains for 15 years with a better visual outlook on the helmet you can see more of the helmet than you can on a respirator it works um and then i was saying about the helmet if you look back in history the protection of the helmet you know in the romans of vikings all then right. they've all got variations of stuff but you can still see what you're doing um 
little did I know, Alex Garland was reading the forum and seeing who was like defending and promoting the film and <laughs> doing their best they could. And when we were on summer holiday in the Norfolk Broads in the UK, we were on a boat and we were you know, just doing the normal stuff, moving up and going to a pub and then floating away somewhere else. And mm-hmm. um, I get a load of messages from my mates saying, John, you've got to see the trailer. You've got to see the trailer. You're going to love it. But I had a terrible signal. I could get like the... Oh, no. Right? So I, it would buffer straight away on my phone. And I'm like, oh, no. It wasn't until I could get out of the area and get a good signal that I could watch the trailer. But I was watching it on my phone, so I still couldn't see what people were talking about. And at the very beginning of the trailer, there's a bit at the top where it shows a riot and a, a white vehicle. And at the very top, on like a ticker tape thing, it goes past, it goes... This news item was sponsored by Commando Forces. So oh, wow. that, that was put into the film for me because I met Alex Garland at one of the conventions and he said that's what they did. They did about three or four different lads' names, all their, their, their aliases on the forum. <laughs> as a thank you. But I still couldn't see it until I got home and looked at it on, the, on a PC and saw it on a big right, screen. Yeah. You need a big screen but, for that kind of thing, for sure. <laughs> but that's it. But it was like, it just blew my mind because I was just so ecstatic. It was like, isn't that nice that some like because he was the director in the end, but sure. Alex did that to the fans who were like trying to push it, and and when I was told at the convention why he did it, me and Steve Green were there talking to him. Mm-hmm. We didn't go back in the forum and tell anyone because the problem would then be people would say things to try and get their names on. All right, <clears throat> so right, yeah. Just quiet and let people do their own thing and and just let it let it sort of fall where it did. Um, and then we went to the the screening in Soho, and that was a brilliant, brilliant experience. I had a good good friend, Pete Wells, next to me, um, and behind me was uh, John Wagner and Carlos Esquerra, oh, which wow. was so. We sat there watching the first show we did see with the two creators behind us. And it was just yeah. it was a brilliant experience. And then everyone sort of like was straight well throughout the before the screening and afterwards getting pictures with um, Carl and Alex. Um, so that was like the culmination of all my sort of love of dread in 2018. Um, but through all that, uh, when, once I'd left the, the forces, it was a case of doing, doing a job and then I just sort of started like buying things left, right and centre. You know, there wasn't really that much dread or 2008 merchandise out there. Mm-hmm. But it soon built up with all this weird stuff that I'd collected. And then I think I was taught to Pete and we just come up with the name Seller of Dread because that's where it all was. <laughs> uh, and I had like big display cabinets down there and, and it was shelvings and um, shop displays where you can hang things on so it's all as it should be. And then it became so big, half it's in the attic now as well with displays up there and stuff. And then I've got um, artwork. When you come in the, the front door of the house, there's three commissions on the wall, so people see the family because I've got all the family on these commissions. Oh, that's amazing! You go up the stairs. There's the movie posters and more artwork, and then you go across the toilet. There's about seven pictures. <laughs> on the wall. So I will finish off the stairs area because that's vast. You know, you the stairs go up and back on themselves. So I've got a lot of room up there. Mm. But um, so that was all all that sort of side of it. Um, and I'd like to say the conventions were brilliant. Uh, I organised a hell trek up to Scotland where I got a minibus <laughs> and I picked up 
people and we just drove up there through the night to go to this convention that was up there and it was one of the best conventions I've been to and we went there twice before it finished uh, it was just a good experience you know what I mean meeting yeah. friends who became long time friends uh, just doing the, the, the mad stuff and then I got involved with the Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD lot um, how I <laughs> how I joined that Flint had asked me if I wanted to pop on and I think it was a Christmas uh, edition mm-hmm. so there's about four people on there chatting away and then I then Flint pulled me in and I just started playing the uh, Darth Vader Imperial March music and then I went <laughs> hello it's me <laughs> uh, from there just been a good laugh and then through that uh, so we got Steve Reed who's Flint and Stephen Ross mm-hmm. uh, who Mick out of um, they eventually we, we said oh it'd be brilliant if we could all go to the um, the San Diego Comic Con and lo and behold that happened and it was like meeting two old friends you know what I mean long lost friends sure uh, it was just a fantastic sort of convention we just got drunk well I mean Flynn got drunk all the time <laughs> but it was just it was just you know what I mean it's one of those things take it off the list I thoroughly enjoyed myself um, and, I'm, and I know I'm going to go out there again. Not necessarily. It might not be for the con. It might be for another thing. But I'll definitely be going out there again to see the two lads and have a good laugh. But um, but yeah, it's um, all of this, and plus meeting all the creators, all the writers, the artists, and some of the letterers. Um, uh, it's you, you, I would class a lot of the fans that become friends because it's a very very niche comic. You know, we all want to yeah. be the best, the biggest in the world, but it's not. It's niche. But we're very, very determined to make it better and bigger and all that. You know, everyone's pushing all the time. You know, we want, we want the, the best things for a rebellion. We want the. We might be negative about stuff, but that's because we want it to be better. You know, I mean, that's it's not. Through, yeah, absolutely. It's through so much love that you want. If you see something's not working, you say, "No, you need to do this." You might be wrong, but we might be right. But um, but the, but the, the, the fandom is so good, and the creators. Are, are amazing, you know. I mean, the you, you go to the cons, you make an effort to go to like cons out of the country or whatever like that. You meet up with them, you're, you're having meals with them, having drinks with them. You know, what I mean, it's just it's just like one big sort of family. Um, and and obviously Facebook, it has its faults, can't deny that. But I I use it primarily for all my 2008 stuff, so having a laugh, messing about, organising stuff, because we have um, the 2008 Southern Contingent, and about three or four times a year, all of the people in the South will all try and meet up in London for a few drinks, whether it be for a signing and then afterwards drinks and stuff, or if there's nothing happening, so we'll be organising one for the beginning of December. So we'll all meet up before Christmas. And it's just that sort of thing. It's it's, And I primarily did that because... Not everyone wants to go to conventions. Um, so I thought, well, let's get rid of that part. Rather than all be on the web and never see anybody, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's good, but let's go, let's meet up. So a lot of people I knew anyway through the conventions, but there's a lot of people on there who don't really go to the conventions. So it's just nice to meet up. You don't have to talk about the comic all the time. Just relax, just you know, have yeah. a good time. And you get sort of like a dozen to 20 people every time, and it's wow. just really nice. <laughs> That's great. I know, I know. It, it's a joke because obviously in America, everyone spread out the vast distances, so it's very, very hard. So it would have to be a convention for for yourselves to meet up. But yeah, all the things I look back on, it's just always been there throughout my life. The two thousand eighteen, 
uh, and Dread, and Dread is just like the be all and end all for me. Um, it's you know, I mean, like I say, I loved Dundee at the beginning with, but then he he finished, and and then Dread took over. And it's just the insanity of his world. That's the funniest bit. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah, that's great stuff for sure. <laughs> yeah. And he's the straight man that goes through the madness. Um, and you, and he's dependable. You know, I mean, everyone, oh, he's a fascist policeman and all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, he's doing his job. Sometimes it's really horrible at what he's got to do, but he's doing it to protect the city. Um, but but to me, that's, that's why I love it. It's just like he's so stern and the madness just... just it's like a hurricane around him, and he's the eye of the hurricane. And he he is always there. He's still, he's stoic, and he just gets on with it. And it's just uh, it's just enjoyable. Yeah, and, yeah, I really agree with that. Yeah, the, the the mega citizens are so crazy, no matter what. That anything, yeah. no matter what Tread does, there's always like they're always on the verge of a riot, just doing some crazy new fad or something else. That's, that's just right, like yeah. terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's just pure escapism. You know what I mean? It's like when we put the Planet Replicas uniforms on and we go to the cons, I'm done for a while, but you would get people who just want you to beat them up because yeah. they just want to have that picture. So in the end, I was saying, right, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to punch you? Do you want me to shoot you? Or do you want me to stand on you? <laughs> and they were just, oh, when you put your foot on the chest and I'm on the floor, all right then. So it, 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 and it's just fun because the, when I look at the conventions and dressing up, um, there's there's there's, a, there's three ways it happens. Little kids really believe that you are who you're dressed up as. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's 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 a beautiful thing for them. I know I'm talking about the judge side, but let's think like Spider-Man and Superman as well. So the kids love it. The little kids love it because it's just fantastic. It's the movies come to life for them. Then you get the teenagers who want to do the pictures where they're getting beaten up or fighting you and stuff like that, which yeah. is a great laugh. <laughs> And then you get the parents, mainly the dads, who will say to their children, like son or daughter, get a picture with the judge. And then I'll say to the daughter or son, because they're not looking as though they're interested, I'll say, is your dad a Judge Dredd fan? Yeah, he is. Right, get him over here. I'll beat him up instead. Because that's, <laughs> that's what he wanted. But he wanted to get the kids to do the picture. And, and that's the three versions I've always seen when I've been doing the cons. It's always the same. But it's just... It's just fun. And if you can spread a bit of fun, a bit of love and enjoyment to people, I mean, that's what life's all about. You know, I mean, life is hard for many, many people. Mm-hmm. But if you just bring a smile to somebody's face, well, even if it was once in your life, you've done a good thing. Absolutely. So and with, uh, and with Dread, John and Carlos have brought this character uh, to all our lives and have brought all the people that I know. I would never have met any of them apart from through this comic yeah. and the forums and through Facebook. And when you look at that, what they brought, not just the character, but they've made all these friendships. It's it's something, and sadly for Carlos uh, passing away last year, but it's it's sort of like um, he's he's created this with John. You yeah. know, so, so he may, may be gone, but his character and the love for him and his character will always be there. As we all just keep meeting up with each other, chatting with each other, and all that, it's just one of those things, and it? it's just—it's really weird that he's left that hit on the world, and and all of us have all met because of him. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know um, I'm pretty new to the 2000 AD to 2000 AD and 2000 AD fandom in comparison to others, and it's been really amazing just how much everybody's welcomed Fox and I into this world and the and all these characters and stuff like that. Like, it does sometimes feel like kind of like sacred ground when we talk about, it, especially some of these big stories and things like that. But everybody's been so nice and so like, hey, like, yeah, like, come along. Like, we're talking about this stuff. It's going to be great. That's been really um, – it's been a really great time for sure. Oh, yeah. And the, the envious part for people like me to you is you've got so much stuff to read still. So I know that you've got to read, <laughs> read – you know what I mean? Because, yeah. because we're all like, oh, I've only got, I've only got the prog and the Meg this month. You know what I mean? I've only got, I've only got them to read. Well, <laughs> you could be going out getting books, annuals. You know, in um, the Lawman of the Future, you could be getting the DC Dreads, the, the two different versions there. You can, even the IDW stuff, there's good stuff there, obviously yeah. other stuff. But you've got all that that you've still got to look at, look forward to. It's just uh, you lucky bugger. Oh, you know, we're all getting <laughs> there. I, you know, I, I am also that. That, that is something I like about about uh, my my co-host Fox is just that he's seeing it all for the first time as well. Like I've for yeah. the most part covering ground that I've covered a little bit in the past, but yeah, it, it's so it's so funny seeing it a sec. You know. Either seeing it a first time for him or a second time for me of just sort of being like, you know, get just just getting into these stories and seeing how they go and stuff like that. It's been really amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask, um, uh, be, 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 because you are the keeper of the seller of dread and have all this um, uh, memorabilia and merchandise, what, what what do you think is your favorite piece of, of a dread merchandise and memorabilia that, that you've collected over the years? Uh, do, you know, do you know what? It's very, very hard uh, that to, to come up with, but I'll give you a couple, right? There's obviously the, the uniform, the complete oh, of uniform. Of course. Because that is the ultimate. But I also like getting the commissions done and chatting to the the artists because they have they did have a different take on things and how what comes back. So I've enjoyed that. But I've, but one of the weirdest things uh, I had was uh, a brown envelope turned up one day and inside was from the from the Stallone film, a little trailer sort of viewing thing. You put a little battery in, press the button, and this loop of trailer went round, and you could just stick it up to the sunlight, and you could watch the trailer going round like. Oh wow, that's interesting. And it has, it has on the side, and, I, and I, nobody knows where these came from. Now this was before I was on the internet, so who had my address to send that to me? It's <laughs> one of those weird things that I've never sort of being able to get the answer to. Um, let me think. I'm just trying to think. I'm just sort of like visualizing going through the cellar now and the attic. Um, <laughs> I've got that uh, massive banner from above the cinema, the pictures in London, where we went up and did a little bit of promotion for them, which is like, it's that size of an articulated lorry. Oh, wow. It's the big dread banner, which <laughs> I've got that. Uh, that's up there, rolled up sort of thing. That's quite nice because I, I when I've got stuff like that, there's like little weird stories that go with it. Mm-hmm. Because when we were up there, me and um, another lad, David Court, dressed up in the judge kit on the Saturday night the movie came out in London, we were doing all these pictures outside with all the all the, the people in Leicester Square, and Steve Green was taking loads of pictures, and a couple of other mates were taking pictures. Anyway, we did all the bits and bobs, watched the film, went out for another hour messing about, and then we all went home. Steve sent me all the pictures, and then I saw behind me this massive banner above me, and I sort of like contacted the manager, the manageress who I'd already contacted to do this promotional thing, mm-hmm. and she con. I said, "Well, when that's when you finish with that, is how do how can I buy that or whatever?" 
And she said, oh, the company normally like uh, does a thing where you put money to the charity, to the to a charity. Um, so I contact them. So they, she contacted the company and she told them who was inquiring about it. And they said, oh, yeah, he can have it. So that was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like I did, a, I did a, another, it's, I think it's more the experiences as well. Mm-hmm. Because one of the, the funniest experiences was when I met Alex Garland and it was at Lund, the London Film and Comic Con. And he turned up, me and Steve Bream were messing about and a couple of other mates were there. And he walked up and he introduced himself. He goes, and he pointed to me and he goes, are you commando forces? And I went, yes. He goes, I'm Alex Garland. So for the first time, when I'm out on the convention floor, I took the helmet off, shook his hand, <laughs> we chatted and all that. Um, but we'd already been invited by the PR man for the movie to do a bit of stuff when they showed a clip, like, you know, watch the cues and stand either side of the screen and all that. <laughs> and at the end of the, the, the two days, I was took into the green room and uh, they, uh, Alex Garland was there and so was Carl Urban and they were signing this massive dread poster for me uh, and, and Alex drew a little dreadhead on it and it was just, it was all <laughs> surreal, you know, because when I walked in in the, in the judge youth uniform, I had like a, a TV star who I knew and a movie star both came up to me and went, oh, I'm really looking forward to this movie when it comes out. And I felt such a sham because I'm thinking, I'm just a fan dressed up in the wrong outfit for the movie. <laughs> but because they were like, I, just, I couldn't even start to say that. So I said, yeah, it's going to be great. You know what I mean? Because what do you say? But it, it was just like, it was an, one of that was like one of the funniest and exciting experiences. But that's what it's all about. You never know what's going to happen next. So you, you might find something uh, collectible like the little... Um, the dread taxis from the first film, mm-hmm. the yellow taxi. There was a, an advertisement in a, 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 I think it was a magazine called Exchange and Model Mart. And again, it was before the internet full. So I was in the I was in the Smiths and I was looking at it and I had a pen and paper and I wrote down the phone number to ring or whatever it was. I rang the person up and he used to work for Matchbox and he had permission by the movie company and Land Rover to make these taxis one-offs so if he made 10 there was only 10 um so i met him at a little model show in maidstone uh soon after i'd rang him up he he was coming to the town so i said all right then i'll 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 buy one when i see you and i'm not kidding you it the detail and the way to it is fantastic i've got two of them now so i found one of them but i I don't even know why why i bought a second one but i did but so these little things and these are like extremely rare you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that's it. The, the pool man is, is dead now. He was quite old, but you could see the love that he put into it. It was so detailed, and you could see he was a craftsman. Uh, and it was just one of those things just found by accident. So that's a really nice piece. But like I say, it's and look, I've got a lot of photos with people, mm-hmm. um, with, with like John and Carlos and Lord, Simon Bisley, Greg Stables, things like that. And it's the stories they tell you and the memories. So it's very, very difficult to choose like one thing. Sure, absolutely. Because it, it just goes round and round. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just the fun of it all. You put the you put the years in and the hours and the footwork in, and you start to make friends with people, and and you you get told stories that can never be said on the on the web or anywhere. But you can <laughs> tell, you can tell them in the pub. You know what I mean? Sure. But and that's what I like about it. it's just a. It's more than just the comic now. It's it's mm-hmm. the friendships and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. This is great stuff. I love, yeah, all these great stories and stuff. Um, 
are great or are, are it's really interesting. I love to hear about all these, um, yeah, everybody's history of the 2000 AD. It's such yeah. a, a unifying thing. I think everybody's got their own set of tales and experiences, whether it's just me. Like, you know, I remember I, I just like the movies as a kid, but I, and I know your, for yours, it's, it's, it's so much deeper. It has all these, um, friendships and experiences and stuff that's really, um, awesome. Yeah. But the thing is, um, you, as you build up the group of uh, fans in America, you never know. You know what I mean? I met some friends from the Amer- the main Judge Dredd, which is primarily from the American side, the Cosplays. Mm-hmm. I met a couple of those when I was out in San Diego, and it was just nice to meet them because they yeah. were big fans, and it was and it was lovely to see their love for the character when they were at the stand and they were getting like a, a, a sketch done by a Jock or something mm-hmm. like that. So it, as it as it It'll slowly build, but it'll never get massive. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't care what I try to think in my head. I want to get bigger, but it's just, you know, if you had like five people in your city or your town in America and you could all get together, it'd be just fantastic to see pictures of you in the local bar or the pub with a dread t shirt on, you know what I mean? With a little a dread badge in your hand or something like that with a pint. It'd be like, <laughs> oh, fantastic. Look at that. And in such a a, a a proper American setting, and they're all dreadheads. It'd just be brilliant. Yeah, I've got to I've got to work on that for sure. There's got to be more. <laughs> there's got to be some doubt here. I definitely have to check it out. <laughs> awesome. So I guess I should also ask. Um, I I you said you were digging out a copy of the uh, of the mega special here. Is is, is this the one you got it um, from like 1988? Is this your original copy? It is indeed. This is the one when I came back from. I was in Belize when this came out. Oh wow! So I was in Belize, and when I came back, this is my original copy here, and it's still pretty good condition. There's no rips or tears. Just, just like um, I, I mean, I, you know, when people say it's fine and mint and all that, I haven't got a clue. But this is good enough, you know. What I mean, it's fantastic. It's probably like ninety percent fantastic. I yeah, I mean, if, if it's holding it together after like like more than thirty years, I think that's all you can ask from a comic book. <laughs> Honestly. That's right, yeah. yeah. It was straight away. Once I found out about the boxes and the sleeves and the you know, the plastic sleeves, and it was all in that there, then it was protected. So it's all good stuff. Fantastic. All right. So I think maybe we can hop in to talk about the actual mega special here. Uh, thank you so much for your story. For your story, it was really great. Um, That's great. Yeah, so just so you know, in our uh, in, in our Prague timeline, we've just finished Prague uh, five seventy four. So we're dealing with the with the fallout from Oz, like with the with the Hitman story and and something oh, yes. about the house and stuff. Mm. Um, the ABC Warriors are approaching the black hole, like uh, Rogue Troopers, like midway through Hit Three, I believe. <laughs> and uh, Luke Kirby has just started learning about some summer magic as well. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. It's an it's, it's an interesting time here in early early 1988 for for 2000 AD. <laughs> so jumping into the special, uh, it opens with a cover by a classic dread artist, Brian Bolland. And I think this is some of his last 2000 AD related work. I, I think it's his last cover until the Brit Sit Babes cover in the magazine in 1992. Yeah. He, dread has, has a shocking five chain links on his badge. And, and you can, you can see it doesn't work. It's so tight. <laughs> like I, I you need you need to have the links just drop down once, yeah. Just so it goes down to give it an aesthetically pleasing look. Because it's definitely just a straight line from the badge yeah. to his collar here. It looks like he can't actually stand up straight because of of the of of the short links there. That's right. Uh, but the rest the rest of the uh, uniforms. I, I was always a fan of people like Bolland, Cliff Robinson, that sort of clean 
crisp, perfect outline. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I do love all the other stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, if you John Hingleton, people like that, and obviously Carlos. But that was always my primary thing is the, the perfect lines and everything like that. And this cover just stands out so well. You know what I mean? Especially with the, the cracked, sort of, I, w- I would say, plastic glass or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the bright yellows, the bright red, the sort of subdued green. It's very, stands out from the shelf. I think the only awkwardness is the red Judge Dread on the left hand side that doesn't stand out so much. Mm-hmm. So it's lost. If it had like a little outline, it might work better. But you know what you're getting. There he is. It's Judge Dredd. Yeah, exactly. Look at me. He's got his yeah. got his day stick in hand. You know, he's he's coming after you. <laughs> That's right. And he's got his um luckily his yellow pads are being hidden by the price and the logo, the two thousand eighty logo. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh on the table of contents, there's another dread on his Law Master by, by Glenn Fabry. That's pretty nice, but it's tough because this one's actually, uh, the cover of Prog 557, which we're, which, which we're about to do next episode. So it's sort of, it, it it's a reuse really close to initial use that sort of got me yeah. feeling yeah. weird about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you've got the yellow pads again, but the city yeah. background is quite, it's a weird sort of city background because it looks like you can see all the madness of the designs, but it looks a little bit flat. The way the, mm. the colors from there, but yeah, it just shows the craziness. Definitely, I love a lo, lo, love a big mega city as always. Um, oh yes, and then um, I should notice also that uh, this th- th- there are credits for the special, and uh, they named the editor as Richard Burton and, instead of Tharg. So it's like breaking yeah. breaking kayfabe, like they do in a lot of uh, these specials and annuals and stuff like that. <laughs> And, uh, just, you know, the general thing is that this is the, the Dread Mega Special. So all of the, all of the thrills in here are going to be Judge Dread, about Judge Dread specifically, or Judge Dread related. So when I call him, I got to do the name of the story, or else I'll just be saying, you know, Thrill 3, Judge Dread over and over again. (laughs) So here we go. Thrill 1, The Blob. (laughs) Uh, Scripter about Alan Grant, artner about John Higgins, letter about Tom Frame. And we are starting to see some of the fallout from Oz here as this story, as a most of the new stories here are written by either Alan Grant or John Wagner, not the, uh, the, the partnership of the, of the two of them as it has been in Dread for the last yeah. while. Uh, we're, we're, we're on the Mega City One docks as some guys are unloading some cargo, in this case, cutlery from New Sheffield. <laughs> when, <laughs> when well, Sheffield is the yeah. place in the UK where they, the steel mills were and they did all the cutlery. Oh, Okay. So yeah. moving out to the new version with uh, in a in in Britson, I suppose. <laughs> but suddenly, a t- a slimy tendril crawls onto the crane operator's leg and pulls him out of there. Without him to steady the load, the the crate holding the crate breaks open and knives come crashing down on the workers, just stabbing everybody to death. Oh, it's real terrible. <laughs> and because of that, they're unable to help as their buddy is dragged into the darkness behind. A call goes out, and Dredd is on the way. Uh, the crane guy, Eric, is being blamed for all these injuries, so Dredd goes looking for him, but finds a trail of slime instead. It's, it's very mysterious. So Dredd, pulling out a torch, uh, starts looking through this dark warehouse, and eventually finds a whole bunch of slimed-up dead guys! Oh, no! <laughs> it's terrible. He calls it in, but keeps investigating as a squelching sklish monster crawls out of a vent. 
it enters the city where some citizens are watching the uh, the early late horror show where Sylvester Stallone is the blob of Notre Dame written and or directed by Alan Moore which is a futuristic movie I think I would watch I don't know like, oh yes I've just seen the new Rambo like I'm 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 ready to see See Stallone be a blob, also doing Victor Hugo. Like, that's well, fine. He looks, looks a bit like a blob now, doesn't he? It's true. You know, it's got some odd coloring going on and stuff. Weird lumps. Anyway. But as they as they watch, the TV set goes out because it's the blob. It blows up the TV and then attacks a citizen who's sitting on the throne in the in the bathroom. Oh, no. Meanwhile, there's a, forens- a forensic team investigating the other blob murders, and they're sort of reporting into Dread, narrating that it's a mutated slime mold from the Black Atlantic, a carnivore. And basically, as Dread's following the trail, we also kind of see it, like, eating and dissolving several mega-citizens, and that's real terrible. Uh, Dread, in following its trail to this apartment, looks up just in time to see the monster dripping from the ceiling. Crud! Some good man on slime action. Dread, <laughs> Dread realizes that the bolt, that that regular bullets don't work on it. Soon the ass is eating through his boots. There's only one thing to do: incendiary. <laughs> the uh, the beast explodes and Dread dives out the window. The fire is raging as we learn the uh, the whole thing is taking place at the Steve McQueen block. Oh, it's ironic because he was in the first Blob movie. That's it. Good connections here. I love it. Uh, and one of the forensic guys says it's a it's a pity they they couldn't have studied the blob further. But Dred's like, hey, if you want to study the thing, you got to catch it yourself. That's it, yeah. <laughs> just a fun fun little monster of the week, of the week one. Um, I I love this just because it's a it's a play on the on those characters that uh, John Higgins usually draws, like the uh, the family that that's watching TV when there's a big democracy protest or something. Yes, yeah. But this time they've been pulled into the a- – or at least a family watching TV has been pulled into the action of the story and eaten by the by a blob, which is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's fantastic artwork and on the, on the deaths especially. But um, it's – what I like, it's just the madness of it as you go through. The irony of it's a big massive box of cutlery. And it's all knives when it starts to go wrong. Absolutely. Could be spoons or anything like that. It'd have to be all the knives going into people. Um, Just that box breaking open and all these knives falling point down as it does is a pretty, pretty terrifying image, it, it, i got to say. It makes you wonder how, how they were boxed up in there. It was like, well, they just all just shoved in there and there was no wrapping or anything. Uh, but it feel, that feels it. very Mega City 1, I must say. <laughs> just tossed right. them in there. I said they probably thought, well, we can get more in there to be sold without putting anything else in it. Right. So that's how they do that. And I, I, I enjoyed all the um, the sound effects of the blob moving around as well. They were quite fun. You know, yeah. flops, well, squish. Yeah, a lot of a lot of S's and Q's in there to make it feel really like uh, like us gross and squilchy. <laughs> that's right. And the, the don't, I mean, the black and white gives it a bit more of a sort of like. Um, uh, instead of going full colour, it gives you more of a scare when it comes to the, the horrors of it. Because when you turn over the page and you see the, the when Dredd shouting, this is the law, anybody in there, and you just see the rotten skeleton on the left-hand side, <laughs> and then he opens it up and he sees them yeah. in different uh, sort of like uh, degrees of decomposition. It's really, really w- re- well done, that. And another funny thing was, 
the typical man sat on the toilet with some reading material. <laughs> and that's, that's how he goes. So that was quite funny. Yeah, the, the, the same today as it is 100 years from now, or 150 or whatever. Absolutely. That's it, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Excellent. It's, it's interesting now, uh, and I've got to pick you up on this because people will be telling me that I didn't. You said bullets. It's always rounds. Oh, so. no. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> but it always makes me laugh when it's like, um, so he's firing normal rounds at it. And then he goes for the incendiary, and the incendiary is like the get out clause, isn't it, for anything like this? Yeah, I think I think high X and incendiary are really the uh, like. All right, enough of this. I'm just going to blow everything up, and sort of, <laughs> we'll just have to pick up the pieces. Then that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but it's the detail in that whole sequence where he's firing away, and it's coming up to his knees, sort of thing, and see it on his pad, and then he's kicking it down, and he's shouting acid. Then you see his mouth as he's saying, "Eat through my boots." And then on the next panel down to the left. You see the sweat coming down through underneath his visor. Mm-hmm. Fantastic artwork from John, and it's amazing that John—not not amazing. John's been a stalwart for the prog and the Meg for for all these decades. It's really weird to know that he started like it was a little bit before this. Um, I think it was. I can't remember the, the number of the prog. It's it, because again, go back to what we were chatting earlier. You meet these people at the conventions and mm-hmm. signings, and then you go. Bloody hell, you've been doing it for like 35 years. Yeah, no, he's he's a pretty recent or a, a moderately recent addition to the uh to the to the crew, although I think he's he's done some really good great great job especially in annuals recently and also a couple big dread stories like the revolution storyline and stuff for all Higgins yeah. and really great. That's it. Absolutely. But speaking of a maybe an artist that that's more of a blast from the past, we go to Thrill 2, The Blockers. Uh, scripter about John Wagner, art about Jose Casanova, Slettinger about or Slettinger about Jack Potter, um, and it's the first time we've seen Casanova in a while. Here, he used to be a regular actually in these kinds of specials. He did a bunch of like ble- of Max Normal stories um, in in the early '80s, especially. Um, and I believe this story is actually from and a from an aborted attempt at making a a, a Judge Dredd like fortnightly, I believe. That was that was cancelled, and it was like there, there were a few dredge stories. This one, and then Hell Trackers were all um, stories that that were supposed to be in that, and and have been repurposed for other things. And so that that means this one's been on the shelf since at least 1985. You know? Yeah, and he's very he's very distinctive art, Casanovas as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I it, it's interesting to see it in color here, just because I think of him as such a uh, su- such a black and white artist. Yeah, just because he always does some really fine inking ink work when he does things. Like I just remember all those Max Normal stories where you could really, you know, you you, you got all the pinstripes on Max Normal's suit and things like that. That really yeah. stood out in those black and white pages. And the weird thing about this strip is the final page is black and white. Yeah, it seems like that they they ran out of coloring like <laughs> right at the end or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I know like. <clears throat> They usually only have a set number of colored pages for everything, but it is odd that, yeah, it sort of ends up just finishing out <laughs> in the one yeah. last page here. Um, so we're in the Adolf Hitler block in Mega City One. Oh, geez. <laughs> 400 floors, 1,800 units, 64,301 residents. This is their story. In uh, apartment 39F, unemployed knee pad broker Frank Dolby is a, a big member of this of uh, the uh, city defense team. 
We see him practicing bayonetting a uh, sovsit attack dummy as his wife knits a book and he prepares to go out to the Ed Debano block to start some trouble. And Ed Debano is, I guess, a, uh, a multi-psychologist. It seems like he wrote this big book that was like the th- the six thinking thinking hats or something. And oh, yeah. Apparently, when you say, like, put your thinking cap on, you're sort of making a, uh, a reference to his work, which I thought was really interesting. I, had no, I, I didn't know where that term came from, so I'm, I'm learning weird stuff here. <laughs> um, Dolby travels the block. He's just sort of going from apartment to apartment, gathering the troops. He stops by the Einsteins in a, in a, in a, in a 39G, which is a really rough name to be in the Hitler block, but whatever. Uh, and uh, we see that the man of the house is Carlton, who's a television addict. He hasn't stopped watching TV in the last 12 years. His eyes have become TV screens as he sits on the couch. His wife, Edith, is a compulsive shopper. And we see him flat, we see her flashing back, spending the last of their money on a pair of stilts because she just needs to spend every single credit that comes her way. And now the family's like in debt, for, like out of money for the next three years and things like that. It's real terrible. She's agonizing over the bills. And then other son, Willis, is just a spot faced troublemaker. These kids today, I shake my fist. <laughs> And when he hears about the plan, he tips the Debanos off about the attack and also says the Hitlers have bazookas and flamethrowers and stuff. So you got to like really come heavy against them. <laughs> Three floors up, Rudyard Quincy is the only believes he's the only sane man in the Adolf Hitler block. And that's why he's going to get revenge with his homemade nuke. He we get a real like kind of sitcom moment where all these stories start to interverge. Or to converge as he's finishing off his nuke as the Hitler city defense is massacred by the Ed de Bono block because they saw them coming and Dolby swears revenge. With the bomb built, Quincy hits the detonator, but the bomb's a dud. But it's fine, I guess. He's bored with this thing. He tosses the nuke out the window where it falls to the ground before it can. It hits Willis on the back of the head and bounces into the apartment where Edith catches it and figures she can sell it for a pretty penny as Willis falls out that falls out the window apparently to his death and finally Dolby comes back home planning revenge i wonder where i can find a nuke <laughs> yeah this is just a uh, perfect john wagner storytelling absolute insanity and the thing is everyone goes oh john's foreseen the future well you look at that uh, that dysfunctional family just sitting there watching tv as people do that now. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the woman who's so in debt. And the, the funniest bit of that is she spends the last uh, dollars on a pair of stilts, and that's how she breaks her leg. Or, <laughs> it's just the madness. And you see this happening now. And then the kid is just so bored, he couldn't care less. And just He grasses up his block so that he can just watch the carnage ensue. Right, right, yeah. Because he, c- c- he watches them all get massacred, like, like through the window <laughs> as, as they go. Oh, dear. But yeah, the, co- the colors are really uh, vivid and bright in this as well, obviously until the final page. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you what I did like is the, the first page, that opening bit, the blockers, the design of blockers, in the shape of the yeah, big block. Yeah, as part of the city block. Yeah, that's a cool, that, that's a really awesome logo for like, if you imagine, because this was supposed to be a, a regular feature in that Dreadfort Nightly. And I feel like that would have been a really cool, like a logo just for that series. Just the yeah. big blocker out of city blocks. I, I, I love when the buildings form letters. That's always a, yeah. such a cool design, I think. Yeah. And obviously the funniest part really is 
they're living at Adolf Hitler block. It's just like, I mean, yeah, we don't care. Let's just get that name in here for a laugh. It's very much like a, as much as I could see, like, like it's such a weird uh, writer's room thing of just like, and we're going to call it the Adolf Hitler block. I could also just see Mega City One being like, look, we got to, we, we, we're required to call all these blocks after someone famous. And at some point we've ran out of uh, good famous people and we've just got infamous people. Like, fine, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess they've gone there once, so it means any other objectionable block name, you know, like the the bar has been set. Like you got to like to be objectionable, it's got to be worse than Hitler somehow. <laughs> it's a bold move for sure. Yeah, and then obviously once the massacre's over and um, the the nuke doesn't work for poor Rudyard, and he throws, and this is like this is how this is where John really gets his stuff working funnily. Mm-hmm. The nuke drops down, smashes the kid, Willis. He falls out, splatters into pieces, but it goes into his family's room, like you were saying. Yeah. She holds it. She goes, oh, I wonder where I can sell that. And then the other family come back, and he says, oh, we got ambushed, but I'm going to get revenge. Wait, I'm going to get a nuke. So everything yeah. it's all brought together between the families and the insanity that went on on the, on the first four pages in a in a rather idiotic way, but it works perfectly. But I love it just as a as as like a sitcom convention. Like the best yes. sitcoms are these ones that are able to have two or even three stories happening, three three different plot lines happening at once. And like the 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 best part is when something happens so that the the all all the different stories that are going on in that episode all sort of crash together and like and have to interact with each other so it's some ridiculous thing so yeah the the, the yeah. city block and the family and the guy with the nuke all sort of cross together in one in at, at one moment that's what really makes it like a really um awesome just like situation for funny stuff to occur yeah and then you've got the final uh, bottom of the final panel where normally it just says the end or a thing right. for the next week it says never the end because <laughs> it's just more <laughs> insane mega citizens getting up to hijinks there's no end in sight to it absolutely yeah it makes you wonder if this block would have been the block that did all the mad things in the fortnightly i mean yeah i it is an interesting thing of of, of whether they it, it'd just be at the hitler block or if they'd go from what if it'd be a different block every episode or something like that yeah. uh what what could have been you know that's it. Yeah, we'll never never know unless we ask John. Oh yeah, we should check it out. <laughs> what, yeah. what are the scripts for for blockers? I must know. <laughs> You've got them up there somewhere. I I know what's going on. Oh, he must he must have some stuff hidden away. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of uh, insane mega citizens, <laughs> John, let's go to thrill three weirdies. <laughs> A script robot, John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robot, Ian Gibson, letting robot, Tom Frame, I assume. It's not actually credited, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's Judge Dredd. I feel like, you know, it's, it's Tom Frame, less proven otherwise, basically. Yeah. This is the real meat of the special. It's, it's, it's the longest story in here. And after many years of Ron Smith daily star strips appearing in these specials and annuals, possibly combined with the acrimonious relationship between Smith and uh, the current editorial team. We're moving on to these Ian Gibson daily, daily star strips. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. These ones ran, I believe they ran six days a week. I, as I understand it, not on Sunday, but otherwise they, these ran pretty consistently um, just one a day. And, and so that they're, 
a little so they're smaller than the Ron Smith strips. They're like the size of, I guess, a conventional daily um, comic strip that I've. I guess we 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 have in American newspapers. Um, yeah, you you would get um, on the weekdays you would get like one line, mm-hmm. and then on the week on the Saturday you get like probably three pad three uh, lines. Oh, I of see. Art, depending on what the story was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sadly for me, I never got these when they were in the paper because my family didn't get that paper. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> they did. They brought out the specials. There was uh, five. I think it was four or five uh, softbacks and one hardback, a blue hardback. Um, but then obviously they brought out the uh, the two volumes that we got now. Of, yes. And to me, and I've said this, and I've done a YouTube video. I've said if you want to get into dread, start there. I know everyone get a lot of people saying go to book five in the case files, but these are the things you dip in and out, and because the stories are so. I mean, the Apocalypse War was over on one one page. Yeah, we've seen that one. That's such an amazing comic strip. Of just That's right. Like the whole thing in one strip. Yeah. It brings the weapons. It brings the equipment of Dread. It brings the, uh, the Justice Department, Brits, you name it, and it brings everything that you need to know about Dread. And you can just leave it under you know, the old coffee table syndrome, or by the bed, read yeah. ten stories a night. So it's perfect to dip in and out. And I've always said that to me, these are the strips that help because it's a, it's very hard for somebody to get in by picking up. Say, say you find the prog t- tomorrow, and it's the latest prog, and you're like, oh, what? I, yeah. I, no, definitely. I mean, you can go on the internet and look at uh, what what's said on uh, Wikipedia and stuff. But with those two books that we've got at the moment, it fills out a lot of the background and it helps. So yeah, and it's much more bite sized than having to what? to deal with a with a whole case files. I I I really agree. I mean, I've been I, I think I was skeptical at first of these of of, of all these comic strips. They've really. I I think the last maybe like six years of progs we've had them in specials and annuals at, at, at least the Ron Smith ones and yeah. they've, they've just been these bite sized like like minute like like moments in Judge Dredd's life they always have like a punchline they're very much there yeah. for someone who who maybe does isn't as steeped in the lore in the background to be able to just jump in and 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 kind of have a laugh and stuff. They do also keep up with the continuity. I mean, like you said, the Apocalypse War. Uh, we've seen Chief Judge Magruder take the long walk in there. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. That really um, keeps you – lets you be a little bit up to date. It's something uh, – I think at this – I, I remember I, 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 I had a friend who wanted to get into Judge Dredd. And my first thing was to say maybe check out like the Cursed Earth or something like that. But I think yeah. like at this like at this point, I, I agree just like saying like, hey, check out these um, – Check out these dailies and just kind of see what's going on there is a, is is a great way to jump in. Yeah, I mean, there's so many stories in each one and a reasonable price, and they're they're, they're well designed. To tell you you got all the the appendix and all that sort of thing. They lots of detail, and they did a call out uh, on the forum and on the web a couple of years back, saying, "Has anyone got any of these ones that they can't find?" Ah. So, and they thanked all the people individually who who give them like scans or they might have brought them into their hq rebellion hq i don't know but it was it was a it was the fans held them as well so sure. it's, it's a brilliant brilliant books yeah that reminds me of like people of like the bbc trying to find like the early episodes of doctor who or something like where oh, yes. maybe like just some random person has this taped somewhere but we don't have it in our official stores we gotta have a have a group effort for it that it always ends up like somebody in Australia's got a tape in the attic. Right. 
<laughs> so you'd never expect. But like, oh yeah, no, I've, I've I've got this treasure trove. You know, just seemed like a good thing to hold on to at the time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so these strips ran from uh, July seventh to October third, nineteen eighty six. Just just a massive period of time for for a storyline. Yeah. Um. And so and and uh, in the uh, in the special, it starts the brief rundown of the character of city of Citizen Snork and just the idea of these daily dread strips and stuff. And I love this because it's all the weird citizens of Mega City One, and those these are my some of my favorite characters just generally. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back at the uh, Dermot Kelly block, who's an Irish comedic actor. A couple of perps in ski masks are preparing a hit. They break into the apartment of Joe Ann Plumley, and these the, this person is a weirdie, a male and a female head grafted onto one body. The perps shoot them both dead and leave a note on top of them. Stop the weirdie show. <laughs> the uh, the the call for the murder comes in, and Dread is responding. He sees the perps running down the stairs and pursues them as they shoot back. Dredd takes out one of them with his bike guns and chases down the other, shooting him in the shoulder, but he's bleeding out! The med squad work to save his life, and Dredd goes back to the apartment to get the lowdown from the uh, forensic squad there. And I should say that there's actually a lot of, ju- of Justice Department forensic squads in this special. I think this one, the first story, and the Fall Guys story all have uh, Justice Department forensic teams, all with different out- with different uniforms <laughs> in the course of the story. Uh, stories. Um, but apparently there's been a rash of anti-weirdy murders recently. Uh, there's the uh, the Weirdy of the Year show is, is coming soon. It's really jitting up anti-weirdy sentiments. And that's echoed by the killer in the hospital at Sector, it's at Sector House 39. He says there's a whole army of ordinary folks out, out to take these weirdos. They're the normal fringe. They've got 16 strike units and no one knows the identity of their mysterious leader. Uh, so Dredd gives the killer 20 years and he orders the, the all the judges to meet up and look up activists with normal friend n- normal fringe connections when suddenly another weirdy killing is called in. And we meet a, 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 a kind of scary lady, a Primula Furt, who has had her entire face removed, including her ears. And we just see <laughs> this blank face combing her hair and being real spooky. <laughs> um, when her agent comes in, her agent uh, communicates the death of, jo- of, uh, of Joanne by, uh, by rapping on her head. Like in Morse code, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> She's completely unaware when suddenly the normal fringe burst in, marvel at her weirdness, and shoot her dead. Uh, Judge Boo shows up to investigate, and this is all at the uh, Newton Ridley block, which is named for, I, th- I think you said, a brewery in Coronation Street? Yeah, they're the people who do all the, all the uh, pints for them. Oh my gosh. This Coronation Street will be the death of me, I swear to God. <laughs> It's always something. It's always this John Wagner and his Coronation Street. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> so at the Great Hall of Justice, Dread runs down the threat. We got to protect, like, even if you don't like these weirdies, we still got to protect them. We can't have just vigilantes gunning weirdos down all over the street. 
all over the streets. He hands out assignments for judges to protect these guys. One judge gets a two-ton t- two Tony Tubbs, who, who we met previously. Another gets Rin Tin Tinsley. Another gets Dr. Bottlebrain, who will be guarded by a judge that looks very like much like John Wagner, I must say. Um, or at least in this era of John Wagner, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, um, yeah, I think you could be right there. It's it's sort of st- stood out to me, I guess. I don't know. Just yeah. just from from other caricatures of Wagner I've seen in the, in the comic, it sort of looks like him. <laughs> and that leaves Dread to protect Citizen Snork. <laughs> and we got a rundown of the Snork family from Prog 356. And I must say, I, I don't know if I super appreciate uh, uh, Ian Gibson stepping in on, on Ron Smith's characters here, but whatever. <laughs> And it seems that in the last four years since then, he's not only regrown his nose, but expanded it to the size of a medium-sized child. <laughs> there's a funny moment where, like, there's a knock on the door, and he's like, it's the normal front! And he goes to hide under the table, but, like, his nose <laughs> is still sticking out of it, <laughs> like, when he is. Um, but it's just dread. He's on protection d- duty um, with this – we get – Again, the recap of the nose growth. We see, we learn that his nose now weighs 50 kilos, which is 110 pounds here in the States. And 110 pounds is $137, just FYI. Anyway, <laughs> Dreads, yeah, so Dreads on protection duty. He locks all the windows and stuff when suddenly someone crashes through, but it's just Snork's dad, who's a bat glider, <laughs> smash, coming in for a landing. <laughs> Uh, the Weird of the Year contest is starting, and everybody's wondering who will win. Will it be? Uh, we meet a couple new guys, including Dennis Ugg, who I believe might be related to the uh, to, to the Pug Uglies, and the six million cred cyborg Major Lee. Presumably <laughs> a reference to Lee Majors as well. All right. <laughs> uh, Two ton Tony's eating pretty hard to prepare for the contest. Uh, and while several members of the normal fringe have been picked up, there's far more at large. And we see Snork working out his nose, including getting some deeply weird nose massages, like <laughs> relaxant stuff. Dred's like, hey, don't enjoy that too much or I'm going to take you in because I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> so it's time for the show. Dred has an H-Wagon coming to pick them up when the normal when a normal fringe hit squad shows up. Dredd shoots one, punches another, when a guy in a flyer swoops by and lassos Snork's nose and drags him away. You see him flying over the cityscape, (laughs) dragging Snork by his giant nose. And Dredd's like, it's now or never. He fires a shot, which cuts the rope holding Snork, and the King Schnaz goes flying Straight into the Hotel Schmotel, which has these uh, uh, cloth awnings over each level of the hotel. And he smashes into one and just smashes through all of them nose nose first until he finally reaches the ground. He's broken his fall, but oh geez, he's got a nosebleed. And with a nose like him, his, he could bleed out in a couple minutes. Um, Anyway... Show's about to start. The news speculates about the identity of the normal fringe leader, Mr. X, and we soon meet him in the Joe Bloggs block, which is the British version of John Doe, I believe, just sort of a generic person name. Yeah. And his name is and it's this guy, Adolf Soso. He's got a got a familiar look, is what I'll, I guess I'll say. Yes. <laughs> a lot of Hitler in this in this special also for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, I'll tell you. He's angry because the judges have, have bored his plans, but he's got another one. 
they'll strike at the weirdy of the year show, killing them all at once. The show starting as Dread leads the judges all standing outside guarding the place. The show's underway, and it seems that everyone will be judged by applause. Two-tone Tony's up first, and he gets a 95 on the weirdy scale, which marks him as a genuine weirdy. Next is Rin Tin Tinsley, who appears to be a St. Bernard who's got a human head transplanted onto its body and gets a 103. And finally, James Fenimore Snork is brought up as the, as the normal fringe attacks with their battle cry, We are normal! They, they get the drop on the judges, but that doesn't last very long, and soon almost and soon all but three of them are are dead or severely injured. Oh, it's bad times. <laughs> the normal surrender. Citizen Snork is judged and gets a massive 115 on the scale. Very, uh, very, very weird. And it's time for the swimsuit competition. And I do like that everybody, all the uh, all the other weirdies are like really doubtful of Snork's ability. Like that, that's not he's not weird. He just got a big nose. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a, I, I got my brain in a jar, man. Like that's weird. <laughs> um. So it's time to mop up. 24 of the, of the normal fringe are dead or wounded, and three are fit to the cubes, getting 20 years each. Adolf Soso is picked up, and Dredd confronts him, and Adolf does a huge diatribe about how the weirdies are bad for the city, corrupting normal people and stuff. Dredd says Adolf's actions aren't so normal himself, and puts him in the psycho cubes for life. Back at the contest, Snork has won the day. He's crowned weirdie of the year. And the other weirdies are livid. Dr. Bottlebrain is so angry, he smashes the bottle that contains his brain. Oh, no. <laughs> he's in a bad place. Dread congratulates Snork on his win, but surely he's, like, reached the top of weirdness now, right? There's nowhere to go from go but down. But Snork's got some ideas. I mean, he's always thought about getting a second nose, you know, for balance. <laughs> Dread just despairs about the future of Mega City 1. <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Oh dear. Again, typical Wagner. The madness of the city and the citizens and dread is just the stoic judge throughout trying to defeat and solve the crime, sort of defeat the bodies and solve the crime. Yeah. There's only a couple of um couple of pages where the, the reprint isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because um let me just see what number this is. Uh, the one that's stands out the most on the third page the bottom two part there sort of like uh lines of panels if mm-hmm. you compare them to the three above it's a little bit thicker isn't it a little bit darker yeah, it's interesting it's not pristine obviously this is where they were trying to get uh good copies to to, to put in but uh but yeah i thoroughly enjoyed this i mean uh, we we all know about citizen snork but uh, the funny bit is when you're when the opening part is where um the, uh, the the Joe and Anne get shot. Mm-hmm. Initially, you, you, from the angle, oh, there are a couple in the bed, and it's not until you get that third yeah. part of that line that you can see she's connected to his his body. Uh, and it was she, he got her put on because she didn't recover from the blight disease that she had. Um, but yeah, it, it's beautiful, iconic panels as well. Dreads bike with the, the firing the uh, the guns towards the cre- the creeps. Dread holding the lawgiver on that strange angle on the side of the page, mm-hmm. just to get. So you've got the, the the creep falling down, you've got the um, the impact visual, and then you've got the uh, the round sound as it comes out of the barrel of the gun. But uh, yeah, 
the 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 thing that we were picking up lately on the ECBT thing, uh, Flint's having a right go about Judge Anderson with the um, the mic inside the head. But you've got it oh, in yeah. here. So you've got it in here. So obviously there's the artists decide what they're going to do and there's like leeway to move around because um, that's very similar to the Stallone bit where it comes down outside. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of ones of dread with that uh, microphone that's like built into his helmet as, as he communicates with other judges and like gives out assignments and stuff like that. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that you don't see that, that often in dread for sure. That's right. But, um, but as you go through the story and you've got uh, – Primula with a no face, no ears, no mouth. Yeah. Uh, you, you, it's, you, you just look at it and you just think, God, that's weird. And then if you start, if you try to go into a deeper going, well, how does you eat and all that? Yeah, forget that. This is just madness. Um, but again, we were talking about the people in the first story. Um, some people live that life just watching telly all the time and mm-hmm. just so. And you've got this sort of stuff, not to these extremes, but you've got these sort of competitions. You know, there was a, a thing on um, on I think there's a, a model agency where they actually hire out ugly people, <laughs> and freaks. And one of the radio presenters and TV presenters, uh, Chris Evans, who's been parodied in 2008, in Judge Dredd, um, he had a TV show, and on the Friday, I think it was uh, Thank. TGI Friday, thank God it's Friday, I think there was. Mm-hmm. And he had one person would come in every week from this ugly lot. And it was like one bloke, then they started getting more and more people. And it was, there was a model agency that had specifically ugly people, huh. you know, the, the freaks of society. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't matter how mad that John or Alan or whoever the writers are think of stuff, it seems that down the line, it becomes real. Yeah, just this idea of, of uh, I mean, it's this, it, it's really on, on this concept of like fame and like people being able to become famous in Mega City One just for the, the smallest or weirdest things. Yeah. And really sort of taken to it to its nth degree here. But then also just this Mega City thing of everybody um, seeing something they don't like and instantly responding with violence, which I also think is a big thing that sort of echoes through Mega City One as well. I feel like it's always on the verge of a, of a riot or, or, or people yeah. just like taking the streets with like torches and pitchforks and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's not like the a, around a, them. a letter to the local newspaper. I'm not happy with this. It's like, right. Come on, gang, let's get there. What we'll do is we'll kill them all. <laughs> right, exactly. It doesn't it doesn't take much. It's just I think it's one of these I feel I feel like a riot in Mega City One is like one of these it is like that story I always heard about um about like the USSR where if like two people just started standing outside of a door, like a queue would form of just like oh, people yeah. waiting for something. If they, even if they didn't know what it was, if other people were waiting for it, they might as well like like get in line as well. But yeah. with Mega City One, it's like that, but it's like with a riot, you know, it's like That's it. with running around and looting and setting fire to things and stuff, it just <laughs> kind of builds on its own. Oh, there's, um, in this bit as well, when you've got the uh, when Dread starts to full on be the bodyguard for Snork, and like you were saying, he's getting that sensual, well, it says invigorating massage. Indeed. And, and Dread says, um, you know, hairbreadth away from running you in on a, a lewd rap. <laughs> and, then, and then it it's and then obviously Dred's busy fighting the baddies who've approached him, but then Snork gets his nose lassoed and he off, off he goes in the air. That's so and then funny. It's just like one, of those, one of those funny skits from like a Jackie Chan film where you fall through all of those 
awnings. Right. You know, it's down there. And luckily, the last one is the one that stops him hitting the ground. And there's some good interplay at the hotel of like him, like, you know, the uh, the robot concierge asking if he wants a room and stuff like that. That's pretty yeah. funny, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. And uh, Gibson just does a great job of like taking advantage of these small, small canvases for these uh, for these stories and really getting a lot of action and like backgrounds and stuff in them as well. It's, it, the art's really fun yeah. for these strips. Yeah. So it, it, there's a lot of detail, like you said, a lot of detail in these tiny little panels. And, it, and it's, it's a testament to the writer and the artist that it just flows so well. And it's hmm. so easy to read and, in, and enjoy it. Yeah, it's um, it doesn't like I was worried, especially with these daily ones. Like I don't know, um, in America we have a we 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 have a bunch of these like soap opera like comic strips where they sort of continue from day to day, but each one has like a little recap and stuff. So honestly, sometimes it just feels like the same story's been going on for like years at a time, you know, because yeah. they're just because they have to recap and they have to have a a little like a uh, little movement of the plot each day. And so it just everything seems seems like a snail's pace, whereas this Judge Dredd story just keeps moving along really fast, and they're jumping from one scene to another and different crime scenes and stuff like that. It's all really like in, um, engrossing for sure. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And speaking of the world, and let's move on to Thrill Four Dredd World. Um, this one is in the center of the comic, sort of halfway through the uh, the, the weirdy story. The art's by Brent McCarthy. I'm not sure. There's no, uh, or it's just clearly by him. There's no uh, uh, credits listed here. No. I assume it's it's John. We- um, I don't know. I I, I I could see it as John Wagner. I could see it as one of the editorial staff. They usually bump in with tech stuff in these specials and annuals. But basically. Um, we see um, just some fun world building for the world of Judge Dredd here. We get a map of um, the world showing high radiation areas where presumably the, uh, the, the nukes really dropped, which includes like uh, South America and sort of central or like on, you know, South Africa and like uh, uh, Southern South America and stuff. As well as, of course, the saw block. We see where that's marked off. And it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't know. I like maps and, and, and these kinds of things. So I kind of look at it and I'm like, ooh, like they like manage the Sovs controlled like the Middle East and Korea and all of Scandinavia and stuff. That's an interesting like Cold yeah. War setting and stuff like that. <laughs> that's it. And since this map, we've got much more detail with every single uh, item in Dreads World across the Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not just like mega cities, but uh, tundras and sort of weird zones in the oceans and stuff. And every yeah. so often, one of the dread groups on Facebook, this expansive detail, and every couple of, uh, I don't know, well, once or twice a year, somebody will say, Has anyone got a detailed map of, of 2000, of, of Judge Dredd's world? Yeah. And it pop up, and it is fascinating to see. What, what was destroyed and what's been rebuilt and all the different things around, like the sinkholes and things like that. So it is, it, it's interesting because people are wondering if, if uh, there's specific judges to certain areas mm-hmm. that might not have been in any stories yet. So it's, uh, it's always good when you see like the more updated versions of the maps. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's something to build on, but it's like it, it, I, I, I always love these in like fantasy settings and stuff because it just feels like there's so much – you know, like like this big math and just kind of being like, oh, what, like what what's that place like or something like that. You know, whether yeah. it's whether it's dread or like like the map at the start of a fantasy novel or something like that. <laughs> it's like, hey, like okay, but like what's this place like? You know, 
Yeah. And now we're starting to see rundowns of these international judges. Um, there's a big lineup of them. Of course, we've seen Mega City One judges as well as uh, Sov Block, Texas City judges, although I believe the uh, the hats have grown in McCarthy's version versus <laughs> the version in uh, the, the, the Judge Child when we last saw a, a Texas City judge. Um, the judges from Oz, who, of course, we just met in that storyline, and uh, the Britsit judges. We've seen all those before. But I believe this is the first time we've seen Polar, Pan-African, and Hondo City judges. Oh, man. Yeah. Hondo, uh, I, I, I know those last two are, are, are going to be big in the magazines. That's something to yes. be interested in, at least. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and then there's a big center spread of just all these different judges with, with a big dread stare, uh, glaring down at them, which is pretty excellent. Yeah, that Hondo outfit is is pretty good. And um, one of the lads, when I was at one of the UK conventions, Thorpeable, it was at Leeds, now it's moved to Harrogate. Mm-hmm. One of the lads, uh, he made his own Hondo suit. Oh my suit. gosh, that's it awesome. Was, and I pictures of me, my judge one, and we're like messing about and stuff. But yeah, it, it was exactly the same as this, basically. The zips everywhere, the white, the red, it looked fantastic. All homemade, and it just shows you how clever people are. Absolutely, that's that sounds amazing. I, I'd I'd love to see a real world version of that because it's just like even it, it's so funny because it's it's such an anime kind of like like costume, but then it's yeah. processed through McCarthy's art style. So it's like um, I don't know, it it's like if 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 Mickey when if Mickey Mouse showed up in Looney Tunes like this, these slightly different styles sort of existing at the same time. I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, and I'm just noticed on the top of the. If you look at Dred's uh, respirator pull down, just like it gives the very top of it gives it, it looks slightly like the eagle's head. Oh, interesting. It, yeah. Just it might be just the way it was the coloured in, but just just caught that just then. Mm. But it is a fantastic. I mean, uh, if I was if I was younger when I got this, I probably would have pulled that up and stuck it on the wall. But uh, but it, it is good. It would have been fantastic to get like uh, as the uh, as the years have gone, we've got all these different churches around the world get a massive poster of all the different judges. Oh, I think absolutely. The, they ever got was when they, when they all fought Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. I think there was a recent one, or maybe this is the same. No, the, there was a pretty, there, there was one in the last two or three years, I think, where they all ended up like in the, in like the polar ice caps or something. And there were a bunch of different judges all sort of doing stuff. There was like an, an evil Vatican city judge and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I think <laughs> Was that was that crusade that one? I think yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I don't know, um, but it's yeah. I love seeing all the different judges just in one place, just because it's such a uh, again. I mean, it's just like seeing all the characters, you know, all the all a bunch of different knights in one place, or a bunch of like like uh like like different samurais or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like it's just a chance to see these amazing costumes all sort of hanging out. You know, it's a it's That's really cool. Because I've seen uh, one of the lads from Sweden, Nicholas Oberow, he dresses as a Sov judge like this, mm. and it's fantastic. We've got Britsit judges uh, mainly on the 2012 design, but that's mm. quite clever. Yeah, I've not seen any Oz judges, because that would be funny, because you want to be a proper Oz judge, like the ones on the beach and stuff. You just wear a pair of shorts and your helmet, don't you? I love that Oz helmet too, because it's basically just a hat with a big eye visor and stuff. It's most comfortable yeah. of the helmets, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and like you said, like the other side of this centerfold is an ad to join the uh, the Oz judges, and they're very like, yeah, listen, we're easy going. Just toss another shrimp on the Barbie and stuff. That's it. Yeah, big picture of like a, yeah of an Oz judge in like 
Bermuda shorts <laughs> hanging out with, with the citizens and stuff. And the thing is, you look at that's obviously Sydney Harbour Bridge, mm-hmm. and the, just the built up area around it now is just hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's all this stuff that that's left over from Oz. That's just um, like spilling over and stuff. We we got a whole bunch of the of the of the Oz judges in in um, in the Oz storyline, of course. So it's kind of funny just to get a little bit like uh, in in universe things about them, just because there's yeah. such much more fun and easygoing lot than these uh, Mega City One judges. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of easygoing lots, it's uh, Thrill Five, New in the Cubes, and Chopper's Odyssey. So this is just kind of filler stuff here, basically. Um, but first, there is um, a, mug, a, a section with mugshot self-portraits and trivia for four of the newer artists on Dread. Uh, Liam Sharp, Barry Kitson, John Higgins, and Will Simpson. Yeah. It's got all their uh, their date of birth, some basic background, what they've done on Dread, as well as their uh, favorite artistic implements and writing times. And the thing is, you've got uh, Liam Sharp has um, really done well in America at the moment. He did uh, Wonder Woman and um, Green Lantern, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's doing really well out there. Um, I've I've met him. I've got a poster from him. Nice bloke. I've never met Barry Kitson. John Higgins I've met many times. Lovely bloke. He's brought out a his art book, which is well worth getting. Uh, you'll see all his, his stuff that he's done over the years. And uh, William Simpson, he's just come back in the latest prog, I think, or depending on when this goes out, one of the latest progs. He just came back and did a story in there, and he was working on Game of Thrones, if I remember correctly. That's right, yes, that's excellent. Yeah, so it's it's nice to, to because I can see Liam Sharp, a young Liam Sharp there, doesn't look like that now. Uh, John Dickens look, looks nothing like that now. Uh, Will Simpson, a little bit like that still. Uh, yeah, it's, it, like you say, it's a bit of filler, but it's it's just something to read as a fan. You go, oh, yeah, major influences, uh, art background. You know, it's, it's, uh, what is greatest moment in Dread History? Uh, Dread History and Liam Sharp says, the day caught me. So it's, <laughs> it's Mickey take things and there's real things in there. But, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think for an artist, you've got, like, favourite board and paper, uh, favourite pencils, favourite inks. And, I, I mean, I'm not an artist, but i looking at the names that I see in Bristol Board, Indian Ink, things like that. So it's telling me what I've heard people say, what they do commissions on and things like that and what they use. Yeah. But then the best time of day or night for working, I'm always fascinated by that with a, a writer or, a, or a, an artist. Can they draw with rock music playing on in the background, or they, do they need it absolutely quiet? Mm-hmm. What time of day do they do this work? And so they're all saying what time they do it. And it's, to, for me, it, it's just interesting to know how they do it. I mean, uh, for instance, Dan Abnett lives in, in my town. Oh, wow. I own the town. I'm just saying my town. <laughs> <clears throat> and he does his stuff because he does so much stuff. He'll put right, like an yeah. hour, he'll do an hour and a half on the comic, do it two hours on a novel, do this on a screenplay or whatever. So he's very methodical in the way he does his stuff. Hmm. So it's interesting when you find out these little things. Yeah. Again, as we talked at the beginning, go to conventions, chat to these creators as they're signing stuff or sketching for you or you're buying some stuff. And just ask them something, these sort of questions because it just it just fills out a little bit more about them rather than just being a, a, a name on a page. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I haven't had a ton of interaction with, with too many 2080 creators, I would say, which is something I've you know, like, it's really an ambition of mine sometime to get out there and, and, yeah. and, and, and try to meet some folks. But I do like these things. Just it, it sort of humanizes people, I guess, or kind of makes you get a sense of like, these guys are actually doing this stuff, which I think is really, um, is, is, is really cool. Like, I don't know. I like the real answers just cause I don't, I, I like, like you said, I don't really know what the difference between one kind of pen and another is, but just the idea yeah. that, there, that there, that there are differences, I think is very interesting. Yeah. Just as an outsider for sure. Um, and after that, there's a, a, a big double page spread about the journey of, of Chopper in the course of the Oz storyline. It, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny to me just because we've just finished up Oz. So this is very like, it's still very much in my mind as we're sort of looking at it here. <laughs> um, but I guess it, it, and it's, and I always think of these specials as being kind of disconnected from the prog just because there's usually a, like, half a year or more from when I, 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 um, these books are put together to when um, they actually come out. Like yeah. I, I, I remember being able to like precisely clock it one year because they had a feature about uh, Return of the Jedi. And when they did, it was still called Revenge of the Jedi when they went yeah. to print. Yeah. So it was like, oh, okay. Like this is like you put this together in March. I see how it goes, you know. <laughs> but I guess they, they, they could do all this for Oz because that was probably – if not finished, mostly finished by the time in like the fall of 1987, so they were ready to go to kind of get this yeah. in, in the special for it, which I think is pretty great. And, um, and as we're reading this, I mean, sadly, at the point I was going to bring up, the picture is there because I was looking at um, part five when he says, uh, finding the ship, unmanned chopper, wondered what had happened to the crew. Then he met the, cra- the ship's crazed Robocop. <laughs> now, when I read that, I didn't see that panel just to the top right. In my head, I instantly, instantly saw the images that I'd read all those years ago. Because, um, and I think this is with the old guard like us. When we read the the progs the, the very first time, we only had. Uh, oh, this is going to be the old. Oh, when I was young, <laughs> three or four channels on the telly. Mm-hmm. We didn't have loads of stuff. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have computer games as such. So when you read the prog, you absorbed every image that you were reading because it was it was your one thing. Mm-hmm. So you would read it constantly all, all week. You know, I'd be my brother, so he'd read it and I'd read it again and all that. And then I would stockpile them all. So when I read that bit, straight away I was seeing the images in my head. Not so much nowadays because I have so much other stuff to do. So unless it's a, a, a vibrant image that just sticks with me. But, yeah, a lot of these old stories – it do, you can just see it all unfold as you're reading these little paragraphs. Uh, mm-hmm. You're seeing it in your head unfolding, and it 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 just shows you how strong the imagery was and how clever the stories were. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. I love that man. I'm a, I'm a big Oz fan. I, I um I I really love that story. Just the different elements of it between the Super Surf and the Judda and stuff, and just Chopper's yeah. journey across this part, especially with like the, with the chef and all the, like the, the weird treasure Island stuff in there too. It's all like, a, it's, it, it's, it's, it's such a fun story that, yeah, it's, it's, it's stuck with me as well. And I, I, I it's an, an, an interesting point. Like, um, I've talked to this with, uh, with Steve Green, actually, um, just this idea of they're not of th- this era, just being fewer distractions. So you really needed these comics because there wasn't things to do, you know, like I know when I've, complained about like text stories or puzzles you know crossword puzzles or things like that and these things people have often said like hey like you know i read this when i was eight in like 1986 we didn't have anything else you know you got to read that text story because you're in the car for four hours you know going to the shore or something 
you know that, that, that's exactly what I was saying earlier that, that yeah. we just didn't have much to do so this is the be all and end all and, and it wasn't just 2008 he bought lots of other different comics and sure. stuff <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was the entertainment of the, of the time really wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah it's such a different time from now I don't know I, I don't know if it's better like I, it, it's interesting to be able to focus on a couple of things you know there's ups and downs I guess yeah, I was, I was, I was exactly. I was, I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say good and bad things. You know, what I mean, yeah. from different eras. You know, we have more uh, availability now. So, if somebody, I mean, I, I always joke on about the, um, but I really mean it about the uh, physical prog and the digital. Uh, now, it's good that there's digital out there because people around the world can get it straight away when it's on sale. Um, I prefer to go into the shop and get a physical thing on on a Wednesday and have a laugh. Putting a big display if I, if I like the cover quite a lot. But, <laughs> yeah, furnishing, uh, of course. I, that's it. But I, I I like to I like to have it in my hand and, and turn the pages. And I'm probably because I'm a, that generation. I'm sure the younger generation are coming up and they like everything digital brilliantly. But uh, it would kill me if we ever lost the physical uh, prog, which I don't think it'll ever happen because I remember Jason saying they would never they would never ever get rid of the physical prog. Um, but yeah, it, it's horses for courses. If it helps people get the sale, if somebody's on a desert island somewhere, and like the, you know, I mean, near Tonga or something, and they watched a dread film and they thought, I like this, and they found it on the internet and they're getting it digitally, brilliant. Because yeah, that's I mean, a person, somebody in the world is reading it, which would never have got it otherwise. Yeah, I mean, even me and here here in the states, I I get the digital the digital prog and, and Meg because it's just half the price of um, yeah, yeah. of uh, of a yearly subscription to get the the, the, the digital versus the physical. I, I'd love to get the physical, but just like there's just there, there there's no like easy way to do it that's not pretty expensive <laughs> yeah yeah but, that, but, but again that's the that's the beauty of the, the digital yeah thing. definitely i like I'd, I'd love to get the physical like i and and like you I, I hope it's there forever but um it's just you know it is a little bit more it it, it is more convenient sometimes to get the uh to, to get the electronic version so I'm, I'm i'm glad that's an option as well absolutely yeah well uh, rebellion being a the company that they are and it's all games and electronic stuff they've got to go down that route haven't they do you yeah. do you get that on the wednesday does that come out on the wednesday with the digital as well yeah yes yeah, yeah. or like well usually like a tuesday night just because of time zones and oh, things yes. like that yeah. but yeah, yeah just around then but speaking of ups and downs oh. <laughs> let's go to 305 the fall guy a script about Alan Grant, art about Will Simpson, learning about Tom Frame. We're at the Pie in the Sky restaurant, which is the restaurant that the squadron that time forgot once to attack this, uh, the, uh, the, the World War II, uh, German fighter planes that somehow warped into, into Mega City One mysteriously one time. <laughs> There's a party in the Mississippi Mud Suite where a bunch of Goombas are celebrating the godfather of crime, Don Alfredo Pesci's birthday. <laughs> Happy boy day to yous. Um, <laughs> got a big cake, but suddenly a judge pops out. The Don pulls his gun and plugs him. And, ah, oh, geez, it was just a singing telegram. Uh, um... <laughs> But hey, anything for the Don's birthday, I guess. So it's fine. Just uh, toss that. Um, though, man, that uh, that uh, dead body in the cake's really bringing down the mood of the party. <laughs> so why don't you guys take care of it? All right. 
And so some goons come over. They grab this uh, dead uh, singing, singing, singing telegram. Toss him off the side of the of the pie in the sky. Sadly, the skies of Mega City One are anything but empty, and this body then falls smack into the face of an early evening bat glider. And they're in front of the uh, N McCree. There, like the, the the city block he's by is too small for me to read, or it, it, I, I can't see the, the complete name of the block, which is a bummer. Well, the uh, the one where he hits the where he's just about to hit the bat glider. Yeah, that looks as though it's going to say. It's it's McCrae, so I would say they're using the other artist, John McCrae block. Ah, okay, cool. Um, so then these two dead bodies continue to fall, and and they hit the uh, the Norrin Rad block, sky surfing uh, <laughs> a team. And a Norrin Rad is, of course, the uh, the real name of the Silver Surfer for Marvel Comics. Oh. So it's a good good surfing metaphor here, uh, and they basically hit like twelve dudes that are forming a uh, a, a pyramid on their sky surfboards, and they're all killed too. And finally, this whole mass of humanity eventually hits the ground, and just splatters everywhere. It's pretty terrible, actually. Yeah. Dredge on the scene. He finds the uh, the the singing telegrams business card, and we get another view from an, of another Justice Department forensic team here. Um, and the business card is from Party Poppers. They also have Alien Grams, Munso Grams, and Gramograms. <laughs> of course, this telegr- this te- singing telegram was jimping, being in a uh, a pretend you know pretending to be a judge. Be careful that yourself, Mr. Burtis. But uh, <laughs> but so Dredd has to investigate it. Uh, the He goes to the party popper HQ and the guy admits it and eventually uh, gets uh, sends Dredd to go – that, that the party was in the pie in the sky. And he gets five years for jimping for, – sorry, for conspiracy to commit jimping and for lying. Dredd heads for the restaurant because he's hungry for justice. The robot waitstaff is reluctant to give up the information, but Dredd quickly rewires him to give it to him. And we learn that the Dawn and the boys are headed to do a special birthday heist for the Dawn. <laughs> very, very like, 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 like taking a kid you know, to go to like a, uh, like on, on, on a guided tour of some place or something. But instead, it's, it's, it's an armored car holdup. <laughs> yeah. They get there. We see them attacking an armored car. Dredd arrives on an H-Wagon. And because the Jimp was dressed up like Judge Dredd, it's personal. He drops out of the H-Wagon on his lawmaster and just starts shooting down all the gangsters and quickly takes them all out. <laughs> the old Don tries to hobble away. Like, you wouldn't shoot an old man in the back, would you? And Dredd just shoots his cane so he falls on his face. <laughs> real real tough for the Elsters here. <laughs> And Dredd comes up, confronts him. Hope you enjoyed your party. You're doing 20 years before you get another. (laughs) And there you go. Tough justice for Judge Dredd. (laughs) The funny thing is, once you get to the end end of this and you're reading this, you say, oh, another back glider gets involved because you've got the back glider. Yeah, that's true. And you also get the birdie, the old lie detector being used, which is also used in the Ian Gibson's artwork Hmm. in that strip. But uh, obviously there's overlaps, and these are probably all done different times. But uh, another another hilarious dread tale, and it, it again it moves very fast. Once he finds the um, the uh, the name of the party poppers, yeah, he's off over there, gets from them, gets the information up to the the restaurant, and then he's back down again for the next part of the uh, the attack on the um, the the uh, armored vehicle. 
Yeah. But, uh, fantastic artwork. So there's some beautiful imagery. I mean, let's just have a quick look what page it's on. One, two, three, four, four. Uh, you've got that black and white splat at the top of the page with all the, the surface <laughs> yeah. and all that. And it's really well done because you're not seeing like the gore and everything. And then you've got that. To me, the best panel of this page, of this this story, is that panel below where Dred's leaning over and he's just uh, just picking the badge up. Really yes. nice angle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just I just love the idea of this giant like like snowball of, of humanity just falling through the sky of Mega City One. It's so it's so terrible. That it's okay. really funny. Just the um. Just, just ever growing as more and more people get 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 caught up in it as it falls down there. Like that's really the money shot for this for this story. I think is just these um, guys you falling. Can imagine, you can imagine somebody just looking out there, the block window on a, on a balcony, and just watch them all tumble past them. Absolutely, some some guy on the ground on 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 the uh, on street level looking up, being like, "Oh, this is not my day," you know. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. It kind of makes me think we had a recent story where um, there was a citizen where they had a, a big blood drive, and one of the citizens didn't want to give didn't want to give blood, and it led to this big chase, and this giant like tanker of blood got destroyed and just rained down on all of me- the mega citizens, and it's just like, oh, that's just a bad day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but from the very get go of this story, the it's just. Um, <laughs> When the judge pops out of the cake and straight away the old boat, the, the old Don, straight away gets a gun and shoots him. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that was his reaction instantly. Yeah. All of, all, all of the other, other gangsters are all singing along to him now. Ah, it's your party. Come on, it's your birthday. And, and they're all like, oh my God. It's like, it. hey, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's your birthday. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some brilliant artwork. Like I say, the story was fun in fact i think all the stories have been fun in this haven't they well let's have a look i don't think the first one you could class as fun but well apart from the kid having a bit of fun grassing up the his block yeah i think like like the blob had some funny moments like when the uh yeah. when the knives fell out of the box or just like the yeah. uh uh, uh, uh still the uh the stallone movie title and stuff like that yeah. those are sort of like that that was the most serious story in the uh in the in the uh in the special, for yeah. sure. And that, was that, probably, one, that was probably the horror story. Yeah, but even that one had some had some light moments as well, which yeah. is kind of an interesting thing. Which is what we say: you've got the the madness which can happen even like an horrific story like that. You've got the madness that just breaks it, so it's not so down and horror mm-hmm. all the way through. You've got the little bits of light to to get a bit of a, a laugh. If you can get the references and stuff, because right. I didn't. I mean, we're going to go to the, the story just reading now. I didn't know that was um, the real name of the Silver Surfer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, but uh, but it, it's things like that that elevate the stories because rather than just go right, there's my story. I'm going to put this in. I wonder if people will get that. I'll put this reference on a a block or on a shop front or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or somebody's name, you know, it's all these little things that obviously the creators enjoy doing. And John has, and Alan have done this throughout their time in the prog. And it just, it's just a, a good laugh to see it when it pops up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like as much as I, as I sometimes find the, the the city block names frustrating, just trying to figure them out and stuff. It is yeah. such a such such a great quirk of um of Mega City One and and this world they've created of just this like 
constant thing of uh of, of all these city blocks with their all, all these little jokes like you said where there's big storefronts and like uh names of things and stuff like i think in the in the, in the blockers story that there's, there's like a an, a, a a mall and one of the uh and, and there's a movie showing and, and and one of the movies is uh is a fergie strikes back and stuff like a reference you know to the character from judge cal now being having a being a multi-part movie series perhaps and things of that nature <laughs> Um, so with that done, like we just finish up, there's, um, a page of just the, the general 2000 AD ads, you know, they're get their dread in the Prague and the best of 2000 AD and specials and annuals catch him or he'll catch you. Yeah. And then just a line of merchandise from forbidden planet, including graphic novels and t-shirts and other things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the iconic t-shirts there. And you got the, uh, the, uh, the halo Jones, uh, enhanced le- leisure citizen, uh, yeah. shirt, the, uh, Margaret Thatcher block city defense shirt, <laughs> other ones. <laughs> and with that, oh my gosh, John Burtis, we have completed the 1988 Judge Red Mega Special. Oh, what a fantastic special it was. It was. I, I thought this was really fun. I think they, they really put their, their, their best foot forward with this, with this special. There were, there, there, were, there wasn't a tech story, which I always appreciate, you know, yeah. action going everywhere, but, I must know, what were your top and bottom thrills for this special? I would say my favorite one was probably uh, the the weird detail because it had everything in there. It had, like we talked about, you know, you got a um, it's fantastic art by Ian Gibson, who's a lovely bloke as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to rub it in on you, because you don't see these people. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the script between the two main characters, main players, John and Alan. You've got the madness of the city, the the, the, the insanity of what people want to, will do to become famous and to get money. You've got the violence. You've got the, the, the bad people. You've got Dredd just being stoic throughout, doing his job, um, and getting a bit a bit peeved off with some of the things that are going on, but just <laughs> just doing his job. Yeah. So that's my, I would say that's my favourite strip. Um, uh, they're all they're all high. I'd say the least would probably, be, you know what? That's <sighs> yeah, hard sometimes, you know. It, it is because all the other ones have. Um, oh, I think that's going to come for a parcel that got delivered. God. Uh, I, uh, there's not really a bad one out of them. The other, the other stories. I enjoyed them all the same, so it's really hard to to, to pick one that would be the bottom, because obviously uh, the mate the top one at seven links out of seven for me. <laughs> so we're gonna have to pick one. I'll go for the last story, uh, the mob justice one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's only by you know I mean millimeters because they're all enjoyable. There's not a story in here that, that I could sit there and go, I didn't like that at all. You know, I mean that's how awkward it is. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, it's, this is a good problem to have, I think, these ones yeah. where everything's all, all, all really good. And so it, it's hard to pick like one that is, uh, is on the bottom for sure. Yeah. I think for me, I'll, I'll join you. I really like the Ian Gibson's, the Ian Gibson art and the, uh, and the weirdy story. You know, I, I love a chance for Citizen Snork to show back up and just get real in depth with how odd all these mega citizens can get. Um, I think I might pick the blob story at, as my bottom. Um, okay. I mean, I'd say again, like all these stories are like in the in the uh, in in the A and B plus kind of range. Yeah, I, I just think um, like just the image of all the people falling through the sky in the uh, 
in the, in the Fall Guys story really brought that one up to a to a slightly higher level. And I thought the Blockers was just a really great like Mega City One sitcom that actually kind of whetted my ep- my appetite for more stories along those lines. So I think the Blob just sort of ends up there being the bottom by uh, by process of elimination. And do you, do you know what? You know, we, we mentioned earlier, we've seen um, you had the lie detector in two strips. Mm-hmm. You had, uh, oh, I forgot the other bit that I mentioned, but every story has something falling. That's true. The first story has all the knives falling out the, out, out the box. The second story has the, has the nuke yeah. popping out. Uh, in the, uh, the third the, has the citizen snork <laughs> dropping down. And then the next one has the gym dropping out the sky. That's How weird. Do you, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's like. I don't know what's going on here. That's weird. I gotta look for more of the like. Okay, so I, I guess for the '89 special, I should see if there's something that that happens in all in all those stories as well. And I think that then we'll that then we'll be on to some sort of a Illuminati message in the middle of these yeah. mega specials. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm excited, and I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Uh, Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. 2080 forums are our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K for the else to go Space Spinner 2000. And we should be there. John, where can we find you and your various pursuits on the internet? Um, I've got a YouTube channel. I think it's just under my name, but I've got some cellar dread stuff on there uh but lately i've been going to rock music gigs so there's a few rocks <laughs> music things on there <laughs> uh my cellar dread blog is sort of stalled but there's lots on there mm-hmm. sadly the photo was a photo bucket that went down so a lot of pictures have gone so i'm slowly getting the pictures back up ready to, to revamp loads of posts but again it's it's getting the time sure. uh, also i'm a regular on the everything comes back to 2008 podcast with flint and mr ross uh, and then uh, just conventions and the uh, southern contingent gatherings and stuff like that and putting things up on the, on the web and currently uh, as you quite well know because i've seen your artwork Droctober is running, yes. which is in a couple of the main Dread groups. You've got the uh, 2080 Megaverse, the 1977 to 2000 AD group. Um, basically, there's a list of things uh, art to do, but there's also a couple of competitions going on and stories about seeing your favourite pro, your favourite cover, your favourite meeting with the creator. So there's lots of things on there. So that's one of the things that's currently happening for this month, which is October, but we've taken it over to Droctober. So that's everything, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I've been I've been hip deep in Droctober. I'm really enjoying it and just kind of trying to draw something new every day and 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 keep up with it. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been nice because you've got like people who are, are very good art-wise and you've got people who are not so good, but it's yeah. the ideas that people come up with and how they their take on something. And that's the most exciting thing for me. Um, I enjoyed the other day when people talked about meeting their creators who they liked, and then I think we had their people's favourite stories, which mm-hmm. was yesterday. I enjoyed reading all them. But, yeah, the art, the art side, I'm seeing some really clever takes on stuff now, Steve Green's been bringing a lot of clever things on his, on his stuff. Uh, but, yeah, it's even if people are drawn like stick men, it's what they put into that, that that image, which is the clever thing. So it's been really exciting to watch. It's been, To me, 
it's been the highlight on the web this year because I've, I, every day I've been enjoying it throughout my work at night. Uh, uh, once once I log on the page and I see loads of more pictures have gone up or stories, it's just enjoyable and it's nice to see everyone getting in on it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 definitely more on the on the stick figure side of the spectrum, <laughs> but I'm 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 definitely trying my best, and it's been really nice to hear everybody's encouraging words as well. Just to be sort of countered among these groups of people that that are doing really amazing stuff at the, at the same time. So I'm sort of scratch scratching out my uh, my little things. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, come back next. And uh, everyone, come back next time as uh, the ABC Warriors reach the black hole bypass. Judge Dredd deals with truckers and sages. Summer magic concludes, and Rogue Trooper will finish hit three. Until then, I'm Conrad. There, John Vernon. We are Space Spinner 2000. Spud Dig Verthrig.